good morning. As you remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Today we come to a portion of this book that will conclude the doctrinal portion of the message, so to speak. As we get to verse 18, the doctrine that has been being taught uh, in this book will kind of come to a stop, and then from 19 to fulfillment of the book, we're going to start looking a little more at the uh, application of what we have heard and what we have learned. And so as we get into this this morning, I want you to kind of keep in mind the remembrance that this is, we are reading a sermon, so to speak. And as with any sermon, there should be doctrine, there should be a portion of information, but there also needs to be application, and that's what's getting ready to come, starting in verse 19. But as we get into this, there's a picture that is absolutely gorgeous. I don't want you to miss a single word. So I'm going to ask you to do something before we even read our text. I'm going to ask you to clear your mind of any distraction. If you have not already done so, now would be the appropriate time to turn the phone off or at least place it on silent. And above all, ask the Lord to speak to you and to silence any distraction that might be caused to you or by you. Because we're getting ready to look at something today that is nothing short of phenomenal. Look with me, if you would, starting in verse number 5 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin... Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lord, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expect till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. After that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins, church, (laughs) if 
you underline or mark in your Bible, this is one to get a hold of. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Let's pray. Father, it's very easy to allow ourselves to be distracted. It's very easy to allow ourselves to focus on things that are not your word. But Father, what we want more than anything is to see you today, to hear from you, to understand more about you, to grow in our knowledge of you. So Father, I ask that you would still every thought, arrest it, and place it on your Son. And Father, we would not be busy doing other things or focusing on other people or other tasks, but that we would focus directly on you. Father, I am not so foolish as to think that there might not be someone here who does not know you as their Savior. And so, Father, what I ask is that you would speak to their hearts, that you would speak to their very soul, squeeze them, place the very imprint of heaven on their life today. Father, for the one who is born again by the Spirit of God, that they would see something fresh and new that would be something that would drive them to a more committed, devoted, and surrendered life. We pray these things, Father, in your Son's name, not for our own sake, but for His sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The preacher, as I said, makes several finalizations in this portion of Scripture. He comes to a place where uh, he's getting ready to wrap things up. And as it is with many preachers, many preachers will have uh, a, a large portion of information and then a, a follow-up of application based on the information that they have given. And this is exactly what's taking place with the writer of Hebrews He's been giving all the information as far as uh, the what he is trying to teach and the why he is. And, and in studying for this, this week's uh, portion, there's one major idea that I could not get away from. And as I finally stopped fighting the Lord and wanting to go the direction that I thought I needed to go, he kind of arrested my thoughts. And when I finally put pen to paper, it was it was amazing. <laughs> You know, you, you, I've read of Spurgeon and how Spurgeon would sit and for hours upon hours he would write sermon after sermon. He couldn't get peace about the sermon that he wanted to preach and so he would ball it up and throw it away and then he would move on to another one and finally he would get peace and that was the message that he taught. I've often wondered what it would be like to read some of those <laughs> sermons that made their way to the wastebasket. But when I got into this, I, I believe there's something in here conveyed, a main idea that is being conveyed that can very quickly be overlooked. Now, many commentators will come to different conclusions on this passage, but I believe if we take a close examination this morning, 
we can see how we can sort of mesh these, there's two more prominent ideas when we come to this. And, and I really struggled to come up with a question to start this morning's message off. I really did. And then it finally came to me as I was finishing everything up. Here's the question that I want to start. What does God see when he looks at me? Now, I'm not just specifically talking about me and Lake. I'm also talking about you. I want you to have this question in your mind. What does God see when he looks at you? I've asked this question to many people through the years. Uh, what, what does God see? If I was to pick up the phone and call God and say, tell me about so-and-so, what would he say? And I've heard many people through the years give me different answers. And one of the answers that I have received uh, over and over again is, well, he would say that I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. Or he would say, well, I've got good intentions. Not quite there yet. And so I really kind of wanted to focus in on this idea because I think it's something that everyone at some point in their Christian walk should come to grips with. What does God see when he looks at you? I know there's been many times in my life where I've looked in the mirror and saw nothing but a failure. I saw nothing but a filthy, vile sinner. I saw nothing but someone who doesn't know how to give their all, someone who is not yielded, not surrendered. I've looked in the mirror, and I've seen a lot of negative things through my life. But what I really want to try to do in this short amount of time that we are allotted is I want to help you see something about God's view, God's peripheral, the way he looks and the way he focuses in. Now, the idea throughout this epistle has been the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ as our better priest and better sacrifice. It talks about Christ being better, being better than, being superior to. And we see this over and over and over again. And then the, the, the idea of the why this matters has also been fairly consistent in this, uh, in this epistle. And it's that Jesus' sacrifice needed only to be made one time. This offering was a one-time offering. Go back with me, if you would, to chapter number 7. And I want you to see something in reference to this. Look at 7, verse 25. It says, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost, and we talked about this when we were going through chapter 7, that the word uttermost is not necessarily a level of individual as much as a degree to which the person can be saved. And so he's not saying that he's able to save this individual and this individual and this individual. He's saying he's able to save these individuals completely, no, no, no limit to his uh, ability to save. And so as we have made our way through, we see this, that he is able to save completely all those who come through Jesus Christ. You notice that, verse 25? Save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. That's important. Many people don't understand that Christianity is very exclusive in this. There's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. 
Paul has said over and over again that there is only one name that can be uttered for salvation. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the door. One of my favorites is actually in John chapter number 8, where he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am. If you go back just a few verses before that, Jesus actually makes this statement. Unless you believe, let me not just quote it for you. Let's go back to John chapter 8, because I want you to see it for yourself. Look at John chapter 8 with me. Look at verse number 24. This is an important one to grab hold of. Now, before we read this, I want to remind you that when you're, if you're reading out of a King James, you're going to see italic, italicized words. Those words were not originally in the Greek. They were put there for our understanding and our be- a little bit better of, a, of a, a grasp on what is being said. But I don't believe this is one of those positive times. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look at verse 24 with me. I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, there's the statement that's made in, uh, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He uses the word ego, a me. Ego being I, a me being am, or I exist. This is, a me is the to be. You know, we use be verbs. You know, I am, is, was, were, be, being. So what Jesus is saying is, before Abraham was, I exist. Now, he's tying it to what, G, what God was saying when he was talking to Moses back in the burning bush. We know this. Verse 24 uses the same Greek structure, same Greek wording. Let's take the italicized word out. We're not doing any disservice because they put the italicized words there to let you know the italicized words weren't originally there. They're just helper words. Look with me again. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am. You shall die in your sins. Jesus is making a very exclusive claim here. He's not just saying, you can believe that I am like God or I was made by. No, he says, unless you believe that I am the I am, you're going to die in your sins. This is an exclusive statement. A lot of people don't want to hear that. They want to hear inclusivity. I'm sorry, my friend, but I can give you inclusivity, but it's not going to help you. You need to know the only way. Maybe you show up at the gas station and you have different options on the pumps. You have E85, you have 87, you have 89, you've got 93, you've got E15, 12XYZ, whatever you want to put in your car. You come up to it, and then you've got the green pump, right? Diesel. And I pull up to the, to the pump, and I've got a, a gas, gasoline engine. My, my Suburban takes E85. It'll also run, you know, 87 octane or whatever, but it's, it's, it's really made for E85. And I, I learned that if it says E85 on the back, the best thing to put in it is E85. 
even if I'm a cheapskate and I don't want to drive all the way out to Hermitage so that I can put gas in my tank, I, I'll just put 87 in it wherever I am, you know. I found out, guess what? It doesn't seem to fire as well. Wanted inclusivity. It's not fair that only certain people get to put the green pump in. And so I pull up and I stick that green pump in my car and say, it's not fair, you can't tell me. And I start to fill my gasoline engine up with diesel. Is it going to work too well? Probably going to have a couple problems, aren't I? There's only one way to God. Only one. I'm not going to mince words, Joel. There's one. And I've got no problem letting you know, yes, if you try to come to him any way other than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are a thief, just as he said in John chapter 10. Anyone who tries to come in any other way than through the door, which is Jesus Christ, is a thief. And so no matter what they're teaching out there, if it's any other way than through Jesus Christ, they're thieves, liars, and they're spiritual murderers. Mark it down. Well, Pastor Ian, that's not a very pretty picture. I thought you were going to paint us a beautiful picture. <laughs> Buckle up for a minute because it's coming. As we have seen here, and you can even note Jesus' salvation being eternal and complete. Nothing is partial to him. Nothing is temporary to him. That's what we have noticed all the way through this uh, book in the, uh, in the book of Hebrews. And you can even go back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, and how Jesus says, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, but he's going to say something to him. What's he going to say? I. What was that word? I. Doesn't say he used to. Doesn't say once upon a time I knew you and then you walked away from me. I never knew you. Never. Needs to be through him. Doesn't say my father knew you, but I didn't. Doesn't say the Holy Spirit knew you, but I didn't. Jesus is the way. Now in this section, we come to an amazing word picture that illustrates something more beautifully than anyone could ever imagine. Now, keep in mind that there's only one interpretation of Scripture. However, there are many applications. And so what I want to do is I want to take two prevailing thoughts to this passage, and I want to try to show how they can come together. But there is only one interpretation. I'm going to make sure that that is abundantly clear what the interpretation is. But let's start first with uh, one of the ideas that is often pervade to this, and that is the connection to Exodus chapter number 21. Go back to Exodus chapter 21 with me, and I want to take a look at a couple things here. If you were to start in Exodus chapter 19, you would find uh, the preparation. The people are coming up to the mount. They've uh, been, uh, God's been talking with, uh, with Moses. They, they've been getting everything understood of what's getting ready to come, what's getting ready to, uh, to happen. So there's a preparation for the law, uh, for God giving the Mosaic law. You can uh, look at through there in Exodus chapter 19 to see this for yourself. Uh, but then you get in Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments given. And the first 17 verses introduced to us the Ten Commandments. And here we have the basis of all the law. You know, you can really come back 
to those first couple commandments, really, at the, at the end of the day, uh, Jesus kind of sums it all up by just saying, you know what, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, the rest of it's going to fall into place. And so quit worrying so much about liars, about robbers, about uh, murderers. Quit, just, just, just love God with every part of you. And then second, then you'll love other people, and then everything else is going to fall into place. Then on these two, hang all the law and prophets, right? But now we come to verse uh, chapter number 21, and it almost looks like something is just slapped in there. And it maybe even doesn't belong, but it does. I want you to notice with me verse number 1 of chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, we're, we're fairly familiar. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you're fairly somewhat familiar maybe with this idea. That someone who was who was a who was a slave they had gotten their freedom, but they wanted to stay with their master because they loved the master, and then they would they would pledge themselves to that master and say, "I don't want to leave. I don't want. I, I want to be with this man for the rest of my life. This is my master. I love him. It's like being part of the family." But we forget there was actually another portion of that. Look with me there again, if you would. Verse number four. It says, if his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be his, her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And so here we have a situation, and we can go into the whole discussion of servitude and, and everything another day. That's not the point of this. People like to say, well, the, the Bible is advocating slavery. Not, read your history. Richard Dawkins doesn't know what he's talking about. Read your history. If if you don't own your house outright, you are a slave to the bank, my friend. You don't. I'm no slave to the bank. Try missing a couple payments. Tell me what happens. You're gonna see who the boss is real fast, aren't you? In this, if the man came into some sort of servitude. And he had gotten to the place where he had, uh, uh, on his seventh year, he was getting ready to be set free. But he had been given a wife by his master, and that wife bore him children. He was not to take her with him. And if he loved that woman and those babies, he could indenture himself for eternity. And so in those days, you were walking around in the town square and you were in the marketplace and you saw a guy with a hole bored in his ear. That means he loved that girl enough to stay in the lifetime of servitude. Now, the question kind of comes in, is that what's being pictured here? Well, I want you to notice a couple things 
the passage that we were reading in Hebrews chapter 10 references Psalm chapter 40. Jump over to Psalm 40 with me. Psalm chapter 40. If you're not sure where that is in your Bible, open it up to the middle. You'll be pretty close to Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm chapter 40, a psalm of God's deliverance. We actually read from this just a little bit ago in our responsive reading. Look at verse 6. Psalm 40 verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin. Offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, as it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. If you look there in verse 6, where it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. A lot of people will take and they will attach this to uh, what is being said there in verse uh, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, because he is quoting from the 40th Psalm in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't get ahead of me. We're going to get over there. We're going to go back to Hebrews in just a minute. And so when they see that God has opened, or thou had not mine ears thou hast opened, they equate that to the piercing or the running through of with an all that was going on back here in Exodus 21. I don't believe that that's actually what's being said, and I'll give you my why here in just a moment. Because the preacher uses the terminology that is actually found not in the Masoretic texts, but in the Septuagint. Look with me now, back in Hebrews chapter number 10. Notice what it says. In verse number six, or in verse number five. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. This is a problem if we don't understand what's being said. Because many people have tried to say that this is a, a mis, uh, mistranslation or a uh, uh, there's a contradiction in the Word of God. No, my friend, there is no contradiction when you take the time to study it out. There's no contradiction in God's Word. None. I was talking about uh, things being black and white and uh, gray areas one time, and I had a man come up to me, hand me a newspaper. He said, what color is that paper? And I looked at it, I said, gray. And he hands me a magnifying glass. He said, look closer. When you look closer, you see it's specks of black and white. We need to look closer. Now, this, I believe, the the preacher does a marvelous job of connecting all this together for us. He says there in verse number 5, But a body thou hast prepared me. I don't believe that there's a mistranslation between Psalm 40 and Hebrews chapter 10. I believe there's a misunderstanding. Now, an accurate translation, there are three different words for the, uh, for the word for piercing or opening up, so to speak. Uh, before we get to the word that is actually used here, before we get there, let me give you two other words, and then we're going to get to the word that is used here. There's two other words. There's the word that is used in Psalm 22, verse 16, in reference to his uh, hands and feet being pierced. 
This is the uh, the this is the Hebrew word ari, and it simply means to pierce or poke through. Now, there's another word that is used. It's the Hebrew word rata, which uh, is found in Exodus 21, 6 that we just read just a moment ago, where it says that he will take and he will bore a hole. And it literally means to bore or to poke a hole into to pierce. That's, that's another word for piercing. Now, there's a third word. This is not the only words for this. These are not the only words. But there's a third word that I want to bring up, and it's the word that is used here. The Hebrew word here is the word karah. Karah. I had a hard time getting my computer to cooperate with the Hebrew, so I just gave it to you phonetically in the English. Karah. This word means to open up, to dig out. It gives the idea of digging for preparation. So now, now this is not God using a Q-tip on people, okay? Uh, my wife is is the earwax huntress. Kids come near her, and those fingernails come out, and the the Q-tips come out, and they put your head on my lap. <laughs> That's not what's being said here. It gives the idea of opening up a like opening up a grave in preparation for something or to put preparation into something. You know, if someone goes to, if if a store opens up at 10 a.m., the employees need to be there before 10 a.m. to open up, get it ready, get it prepared. What are you doing? What are you doing there so early? I'm making preparation. I'm opening up. This is what is being said here. It means to prepare or to dig. In other words, to fashion and make ready. Here's what is being said. In opening his ears, he's getting himself ready to receive something. In saying, a body thou hast prepared, the why behind the what lets us know what's going on. Why the ears are there, why the uh, the body, why, what is it being said there? To correctly understand it, notice the statement. Go back, if you want to, into Psalm chapter 40, and note what is being said. Verse 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. My ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings, and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, the law is within me. The word that is being used for opened, my ears have you opened, he is saying you have given me ears to hear. Now over here in Hebrews, he says in verse number 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou, ha- thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written, to do thy will. The openness of the ears, uh, grasp this before we go any further, God never wanted, He never desired burnt offerings. 
That's not what he wanted. The burnt offerings were only meant to be temporary. God wants you. That's what he wanted in the Old Testament. It wasn't that he couldn't wait for the smell of dead animals. It wasn't that he couldn't wait for the smell. I mean, my goodness, they put frankincense and everything all over. They had all these different spices and all these different incenses to to let that smell rise to him, a sweet-smelling savor. It wasn't because he couldn't wait for the smell of death and blood in in the city of Jerusalem or in the tabernacle. That's not what God wanted. God said, I want you, and here's how you can come to me. That's what he wanted. He says, a body you have prepared for me to do your will. Ears you have opened to hear of you. Saying the same thing, essentially. But God did prepare a body for Jesus. See, open ears gives the, uh, kind of gives the idea of listening, which speaks to the receptivity. He heard and he did. He heard and he obeyed. Now, let's look at what his obedience was. Go with me, if you would, back to Philippians. We're in Hebrews, just a few books back, the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter number 2 with me. When we preached through the book of Philippians, we covered this in a little more detail. But I want you to note what, uh, where we can tie this with the book of Hebrews and how there's a certain thread that makes its way all through Scripture. We can see it right here. Look at Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man a body thou hast prepared for me. And, to, uh, uh, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow the things in heaven and the things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father body thou hast prepared for me. Lo, I've done your will. Jesus prepared by God the Father to do God the Father's will. And where did that obedience lead him? The death of the cross. Open ears are listening ears. Listening ears are obedient ears. And obedient ears tune in to God's will. He knew what God wanted. He knew what the Father wanted. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew what God desired of him. Notice again, and you might want to put a little bookmark in Philippians to come back to later on. Notice again in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 7. Then said I, lo, I am come in the volume of the book that is written to me to do thy will, O God. 
And the interesting thing that we need to understand is what exactly the will of God is. This body was prepared to do God's will. And so at this stage, you may be wondering, okay, pastor, you said beautiful picture. How in the world are you connecting what you told us a while ago? Why did you even tell us about that whole Exodus 21 thing? And now you're leading us over here. I am completely lost. Good. Good, because it's just going to put you on the edge of your seat even more. At this stage, you may be wondering, how does this servitude and sacrifice fit together? What was verse 7's God's will? Do you see that? To do thy will, O God. Drop down to verse number 9 there. Then said I, lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now this kind of gives us a hint to what the will of God is, doesn't it? Gives us a hint to it because it says, uh, he, he says, I have to do thy will, O God. He taketh away what? He taketh away the first to introduce the new. A lot of people don't want to hear that. Oh, there's still something I have to do. My friend, he did it all. All. Look at this next part here. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter number 6. This is where things are going to start to heat up. I tell you what, I was on shouting ground this week. And I want to present something to you today that'll make a Baptist smile. Come on, I grew up Baptist. I can joke too. Some of y'all sitting there going, we smile. Here we go. Look at at John chapter number 6. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. You want to know God's will, my friend? For you to know him through his Son. That's what God desires. That's what God desires. Don't argue with me. John wrote it down. Don't argue with me. Jesus' words, here's the will. That of all which hath been given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Now, with that in mind, are you ready? Here we go with the connections. 
verse 40 and verse 39 give to us the reason God sent the Son to grant this eternal life. God the Father sent God the Son to grant this eternal life to all who would come through Him. So how do the two connect? Well, Jesus indicates something in this in verse 39. He says, of all that the fathers give me, I should lose nothing. He even references this back in verse uh, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now let's look at the two being joined. God gave Jesus a bride. You remember when we referenced back in Romans chapter number 7. Look there with me again quickly. We referenced this a couple weeks ago. Romans chapter 7. And the first several verses take us into an understanding of the law. Verse number 1 of Romans 7 says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You, my friend, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, you have married yourself to Jesus Christ. He is yours. Your husband. You are his bride. And he ain't going to lose you. Not going to happen. And so being that I understand interpretation and application, I believe the correct interpretation of this is where he looks at the body you have made and this obedience, and this doing the will of the Father, and laying himself down that way. But understand that God gave him a bride, gave to Jesus a bride. Drop down to verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. God has given to Jesus a beautiful bride, and Jesus set himself aside, set aside himself, laid it off, emptied himself to become something for you, to become one of us, so that he could die in your place after living the life that you and I should have lived so long ago. But we would not live this life. We could not live this life. He did it for you. And he's never going to let you go. Never. I want to 
help us connect these now, these two ideas. If you look at Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter number 5. And we're going to bring this to a conclusion. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we find instructions for marriage. We see submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. But then we see something in verse number 25. Catch this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. See verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Men, this ought to be something convicting. How many times do you present your wife holy and without blemish? I didn't ask how many times she presented herself that way. I'm asking how many times have you presented to yourself, your wife, without spot or blemish. That's something else that will preach another day. But this is what Jesus does for his bride. He washes it by the water of the word to present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. How does he do this? Look at chapter 10 of Hebrews again. Look at verse 14. For by the one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's try that again. Let's back up for just a minute because everybody in this building just missed a wonderful opportunity to shout amen. We need some white hankies out ready to wave. Someone needs to get themselves stretched because it's about shouting time when we read verse number 17, and their sins and inequities will I remember no more. Amen. How does Jesus present you? Glorious, without spot or wrinkle. Because when God looks at me, He doesn't see me anymore. Because I don't come to God through my efforts. I don't come to God through my abilities. I don't come to God by what I can give. I don't come to God by what I'm able to do. I don't come to God with how beautiful I am or how perfect I am or how holy I am. I come to God through none other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when he sees that, I'm acceptable. When he sees his son's blood, he says, 
what sin. When he sees his son, and I'm coming to God through his son, that's perfect. Forever perfect. This is what Christ offers to humanity. Verse 18 says, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. All is purposefully forgotten, never to be brought up again. He says, I'm not going to remember them anymore. Why do we always remind us of ourselves of it? Let's look at a couple things of application. And I've got a final statement to make for you. Look with me at these. Number one, have you come to God by Jesus? Or are you still trying to earn His love? Well, pastor, I've got to live a certain way so that he likes me more. He's looking at you through the lens of his son. How can he like you more than that? Well, well, well pastor, I, you know, it, that's good to start it, but I, I've got to maintain. Well, you can't. You didn't have the ability to get there. How are you going to have the ability to stay there? That makes sense. So have you come to God by Jesus? Or are you still trying to earn His love? Number two, are you living a life revealing your, your position as Christ's perfect bride? Are you living a life revealing this? Don't miss this. Don't miss it. If you are being presented by Christ as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Are you living up to that? So many will take this and go, oh, it's a good thing God is, Jesus is presenting me this way. <laughs> it's a good thing. That means I don't have to, oh, stop. We need to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. So are you living a life revealing your position? as Christ's perfect bride. Number three, Jesus has made you complete. And what more could you want? Now this one's for those of us who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God, and yet we're still not satisfied. Jesus Supplies it all. What more is there? What more is necessary? Listen. I live up to what he says about me. Not so that he will say it about me. You know, looking at it from a very human standpoint. A lot of husbands 
trying to earn respect from their wives. A lot of wives trying to earn love from their husbands. I wonder what would happen, husbands and wives, if instead of waiting for them to earn it, you gave it to them. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Oh, come on, preacher, you're meddling now. Good. If you're upset at me for meddling, that means God's trying to talk to you about something. Can't say amen, you need to say oh me. Why don't you try giving it to them and then let them live up to what you're giving them? God presents you, if you are born again, He presents you spotless. Let's live that way. So back to the question. What does God see when He looks at me? He doesn't see your sin. So for those of you who might have said at the beginning of this, well, he sees someone who tries but fails a lot. If you're coming to him through your effort, yeah, that's what he sees. But if you come to him through Jesus Christ, your iniquities, your sins are remembered no more. And where remission of sin is, there's no more offering necessary. So he sees you as his child. The question is, are you coming to him that way? Are you trying to sneak in a different way? Are you living up to what he says about you? Or are you living lackadaisical at best? Father, thank you that you have forever settled it. You didn't settle it temporarily. You didn't sell it partially. You settled it forever. And as a result of that, Lord, we now are able to be in a relationship with You. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for His gift. Thank You for His dying on the cross for us. For allowing Himself to be pierced for enslaving Himself to Your will so that we can be made new. And today, He didn't remain. He went on. And today, He is forever interceding on our behalf. One mediator, Christ Jesus. Thank You for that, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would never forget the promise that He gives to us. Be able to have this relationship with Him. His bride. And that He'll never lose one. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.